0: Take your Bible and turn back to Revelation chapter number 12. I say, man, I, I really enjoy the music in this church. Don't you all? I just praise the Lord for all those that play instruments. And uh, I think, man, maybe when I get to heaven, the Lord will allow me to play an instrument one day. Praise the Lord for that. I, I do have a little bit of a confession to make for you. Is that, was that not a wonderful set of music on the love of God? Amen? How, good, how much the Lord loves it. You know what would be a perfect sermon for all of those great songs? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Wouldn't that be a great sermon? Well, I have to confess to you that uh, our good brother Derek George was going to preach this morning on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Jamie had built all of the music around that. And Wednesday morning, I believe it was, I got a text that... Uh, Derek had been in the ER, passed out twice, and been real sick, dehydrated. He had to take the whole week off of work or the rest of that week off of work. And uh, so uh, obviously he's here today feeling better. If not, you're spreading all the germs. So if you pass out today, it's Derek's fault. And no, I'm just kidding with you. But uh, it's good to have them back with us today. In the next few weeks at some point, Derek will be uh, bringing the word for us. But I just thought that, you know, on this day, especially with the uh, banquet this evening, would be a great opportunity for Derek to uh, bring the word on the love of God. So popped into the office there, Jamie's office, Wednesday, and said, Derek is sick. So I'm going to preach on Sunday. And he said, great, I have a bunch of songs on the love of God. What are you preaching on? <laughs> Christ and the dragon. <laughs> so brothers and sisters, somehow, way, I'm going to preach on Christ and the dragon, and I'm going to twist the love of God in there somewhere, all right? So uh, for all of you that are taking hermeneutics and Bible expositions, somehow, as a preacher, you've got to wind the love of God in there. So we'll end up there. But uh, hopefully today we can see a little bit from this text uh, that the love of God is ultimately here uh, in this passage. But uh, Revelation chapter number 12, today what I want to do is a little bit like I did last week. Uh, I'll do Revelation 12 through 14. Give you just a little bit of a kind of a walking commentary through there and then try and draw out maybe uh, two or three application principles for us. And then uh, in uh, in time, we'll slow down a little bit, trying to uh, do a little catch up to get us where we need to be. But today, in Revelation chapter 12 through 14. For those of you that are taking notes, the book of Revelation has two major sections, chapter 1 through 11, which ultimately deals with the church against the world and all of the persecution that the world has on the church. And, and so how Christ is victorious in the church and defeating the world. And then chapter 12 all the way to chapter 22 is the second biggest section. And that is like peeling a second layer off of the onion. It's getting down to what it's all really about. And that is ultimately Christ versus the dragon. And the dragon ultimately is Satan. And the greatest battle is not just the church against the world. It is Christ versus that great dragon. And so in chapter 12 through 14, you have the enemies that are, you know, the devil and his cronies are put forth. All right, so you have the dragon, you have the beast that comes out of the sea, you have the beast that is on the land, and then you have this great harlot of Babylon and the people that ultimately follow after Satan and the powers of darkness. And for most of you that are glazing over at this point, I'll try my best to explain through some of that. Chapter, um, let's see, chapter fifteen and sixteen give you the demise of the people on earth that follow after Satan. Chapter 17 through chapter number 19 give you the demise of the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that uh, comes from the land. And then chapter 20 through chapter 22 ultimately finishes the book by the demise and the destruction of that great red dragon, Satan himself, and the establishment of God's great rule upon the earth, whereby we shall rule and reign for him, not for just some thousand physical, uh, literal years, but for all eternity we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a wonderful, wonderful end to all of the culmination of history. So chapter number 12... Uh, chapter 12 basically has three scenes. Let me walk you through those. The first scene is the woman and the child and the dragon. That would be in your first six verses or so. And so you say, who is this Who is this woman? Well, that is the church. It is of both dispensations, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There has always just been one people of God. You never get saved in a different way. It's not the Jew and then the church. It's one people of God, the church in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. In fact, Peter calls the church in the New Testament, testimony he's writing he says you are the Israel of God and so we are one people of God viewed from the earth, it may look like the church is nothing much, but as you would see in this text that we just looked at, viewed from heaven, the church is more glorious than the sun shining in all of its glories. And when you see that it there it has these 12 or 13 moons and the stars, they say, what is that? That is the church bringing its dominion of the rule of Christ into the world. And so, who is the woman here in chapter number 12? None other than the church of the living God. And then second, who is the child that she is going to give birth to? Well, it is the none other than the Christ child himself. And if you say, I don't know that that child is Jesus Christ. Well, there's a few ways that you would understand that. In verse number five, uh, that speaks there of the child. And if you just go to verse number 10, when he ascends into heaven, what does it say at the end of verse number 10? That it is the rule of Christ himself. You say, how else would you know that this is the Christ child? Well, you see the verse there where it talks about Him ruling the nations with a rod of iron. That is a direct reference to Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 9, which is clearly a messianic psalm speaking about the ruling power of Jesus Christ in the world. Furthermore, this whole section here, verse 1 through 6, is nothing more than just a representation of the book of Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15 where after Adam and Eve have sinned, Adam and Eve are there and so is Satan that great serpent, right? And what does God say? I shall put enmity between thee and the woman and between your seed and the seed or the son of the woman and you shall bruise his, uh, you shall bruise his heel but he shall crush your head. So the serpent in Genesis 3.15 is the dragon of Revelation chapter number 12. And the son or the seed in Genesis 3.15 is the child in Revelation chapter number 12. So now we have the mother or we have the church and we have the child Christ. And who is that great dragon? Well, he is none other than that great dragon, that great serpent, Lucifer. He is Satan himself. And where does Satan stand in front of the woman ready to pounce and kill and take the life of the child? But as the scene shifts now, you realize that the sun is ascended into heaven. And so the uh, great dragon cannot get to the child. And so what happens? What's the next scene? Well, in verse 7 down through verse number 13, you'll see something of the expulsion of Satan from heaven. So Michael and the archangels, what do they do? Uh, Michael and the archangel, they, they come down and they fight the dragon. And you're like, man, this is some kind of great saga. It should be turned into a movie. Well... They tried that a few times, not sure how good that's worked, but here we have Michael and he comes down and he fights Satan and Satan is kicked out of heaven and he takes a third of the stars or the evil spirits with him and, and so he is no longer able to accuse the brethren in heaven. He may try, but before the God of heaven, we are righteous because of the work of the child Jesus upon the cross. And then the latter part of chapter number 12 makes the shift. You see, the dragon could not take, kill the, uh, the child, and the dragon then shifts his attention and says, well, if I can't get to the child, I'll go after the church. And what does it say? That God bears away the church or bears away the woman on wings of eagles so that the brunt and the power of Satan cannot take away the the influence and the power and the souls of the church combined. He tries to pour out the liquid, vomitous wrath against the church. And we live in the age between Christ's first coming and His second coming. And for all the span of history, Satan has been trying to attack the people of God. Is that not the way that it is? And yet, we are persecuted, but Satan doesn't win over the church. Jesus wins. So he tries to attack the child, and he loses. And he tries to attack the church corporately, and he loses. So what does he do at the very end of chapter number 12? He turns his attention toward attacking individual Christians. And there are tons and tons of people in here this morning and all around the world who are believers that are in hard places that have been under the attack of Satan. What about chapter number 13? Let me see if I, if I haven't confused you thoroughly. Let me see if I can help us out with chapter 13. I almost entitled it Christ versus the dragon and his cronies. All right. Chapter number 13 is like, uh, it would be like in the mob, it's Bruno coming to break your legs. All right. These are the, uh, these are the helpers of the big bad guy, the dragon. So you have two of them in chapter number 13 and one that's mentioned in chapter number 14, verse eight and nine. So let me see if I can give those to you. You see that in chapter 13, the great dragon satan himself he comes down he has one foot in the sea and one foot on the land should remind you a couple of chapters earlier when the righteous angel comes down and puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land this is a counterfeit of christ and so this great dragon satan himself one foot on the sea one foot on the land and out of the sea comes a beast and we'll look at that gnarly thing in a minute And then there's a beast that rises up off of the land. And then when you get to chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, there's this great deceiving, delusional harlot of Babylon. And many of you are like, what in the world is all of that? So let me see if I can give us an explanation. The first beast that comes up out of the sea in chapter number 13 is representative of all anti-Christian governments since the time of Christ, even unto today. In fact, John is looking there and he sees this beast come up out of the water. And he don't read this, don't read chapter 13 at midnight by yourself. I'm telling you, it's spooky, all right? He sees this beast come up out of the water, and the thing has seven heads and ten horns. It gets a little bit farther out of the water. It has the body of a leopard, right? For speed, and then he sees the feet, and it has the feet of a bear for crushing power, and then the grand uh, uh there, it describes his mouth as the mouth of a lion for destruction. And this is the beast of this anti-Christian government from the time of Christ all the way till today and until Jesus comes again. There have always been anti-Christian governments around the world that have tried to beat down and beat back and destroy all of Christianity. Just Just look at the last century, the 20th century, probably the most bloodiest century of all time. And we see here people like Pol Pot and uh, Mussolini and Hitler and all of these kinds of governments around the world that are taking the lives of Christians. And need I say this, I'm not speaking about Islam in general, but I am just saying about radical Islamic state that are seeking to push out and destroy Christianity around the world. We must understand that there have always been these governments Governments and these ruling bodies that have tried to drive out Christianity in the world. That is one of the left hand or one of the right hand enemies that the great dragon uses. But there's a second one in chapter 13, the second half. This dude is a little less scary, but a little bit more troublesome. You see the second beast? He rises not from the sea, but He rises from the land. He doesn't have ten horns, but He has two horns. And what does it say His horns are like? He has two horns just like a little lamb. He looks like a little lamb, but He speaks like a what? Dragon. Later in Revelation chapter number 19, you'll find out that this is what they call the false prophet. And if the first beast stood for the anti-Christian governments that have driven out Christianity around the world, I would say that the second beast would be anti-Christian philosophy and religion that looks like a lamb on the outside with the two small horns. But when you pick it up and cuddle up next close to it, you find that it speaks like a dragon and takes your life. And all through the time, from the first coming of Christ till today, there have always been false doctrines and false gospels and false theologies and philosophies that have tried to take the lives and the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And it is true today. I, I usually often uh, knock heavy on stuff like the prosperity gospel. You know, those goofy people on the television that send, say, send me $1,000 and God will bless you with 10000 if you just shut that junk off, they're all liars. All right? Anybody that tells you that they're going to bop you on the head and make you whole, stop. That is a beast with two small horns that looks like a lamb and draws your money and when it's all gone and there's no hope and you're not made whole, you find out that you've spoken to a dragon. I liken that second beast to a monkey. All right, Now listen, if you like monkeys, okay but I'm not a big fan of monkeys, all right? I've seen way too many stories about people that had baby little monkeys. They were cute. You want to hold them, and then I hear about them ripping your face off, all right? I'm going to stay away from a baby monkey. That's what the false prophet is like. That's what this other beast is like. It's a cute little monkey that you hold in your hands, but in a moment, it rips your face off. And yes, you can tweet that out. The pastor, Steve, said the false prophet is like a crazy monkey, all right? Chapter Thirteen ends with that the beast that comes out of the sea, anti-Christian governments that push try to push out gospel word, and the second beast will be anti-Christian philosophy and religion that tries to push out the truth of the gospel. Do you know that by the time the Apostle Paul was writing in the New Testament, this was already happening? That's the whole reason why the book of Galatians was written. When John is in his early 90s, he writes 1 John to dispel and defeat false doctrines that were already trying to creep into the church. He's in his 90s. He's probably got a cane. He's shaking. He begins to write 1 John. He doesn't even start with a salutation. How you doing? I'm John. He says, I was there. I saw Jesus in the flesh. Trying to warn us against false doctrine. What about chapter 14? Well, the first several verses of chapter number 14 speak about this 144,000. We thousand. We've already talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about the idea that it is the church that is chaste and righteous. Look there in verse number 4, chapter 14, you'll find that they are chaste, they are righteous, and not only that, but they follow the Lamb. What is it? They are righteous and they are obedient. And what does the old song say for us? Trust and obey. Not only do they trust and obey, but they are the blood-washed redeemed of all the centuries. They have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross. And if you're here today, and maybe this is strange to you, we'll get to application in a minute, but what I want you to understand is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And today, if you put your faith and trust in Him, He will save you from all of the heartache and misery that is to come in all of the future generations judgment and he will make you a child of the king amen and amen glory to god in the highest jesus and his people and then i think verse number probably verse number six through verse number 13 of chapter number 14 is a warning to all of the people of the world who are lost about this great last deceiver and crony of the dragon, that is the Babylon. You say, what is that? It is the seductive nature of the world. The Apostle Paul said this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and isn't that what is out there in the world? That great harlot Babylon, that worldly system. And what does it say in those verses? We'll look at it in a few minutes. But it says it gets its tentacles into the people that sit there in indifference. And in those who are deceived and in those who are attached to it. Can I say to all of us today, there is an evil world system out here that wants to drive you and own you and suck you in and take you away from anything that God wants. And if you're indifferent today, and if you're deceived today, and if you are attached at the hip to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, You'll die in your sins and be judged. And then chapter 14, verse probably 14 or 15 all the way to the end. It is that great day, that one last judgment, when Jesus comes again and puts the sickle of reaping and harvest into the earth... And those that are just and righteous by Jesus, they are carried off into everlasting bliss. And those who are evil and injustice and wickedness that have not turned to Jesus by faith, they shall be everlastingly judged. It is that great day of judgment that is coming. Do you see how Revelation chapter 12, just like all of the previous sections, begins with Christ and the ascension and ends with Christ and the ever living coronation of Jesus, whereby he casts out those that are evil and he reigns with those that are righteous? That is the way that 14 or 12 through 14 is bookended for you. Now, for some of my theologians in here, you probably enjoyed walking through that. For the rest of us in here that need something to live tomorrow, let me see if I can back us up and help us. Let me give you three questions about this great movie or saga or story or narrative, whatever you want to call it. Go back to chapter number 12 and look with me at at this verse. Chapter number 12 verse number 4 and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might devour the child here is the first question you see this great saga this great narrative of scripture and i want to ask yourself you want you to ask yourself what story do you live in What narrative, what grand narrative of life do you live in? Do you live in your own story where the world revolves around you and everything is about whether you're happy and what makes you comfortable and what you want? Is your story small enough for your own life or do you live in the story of the Scripture that is grand and glorious and far beyond your own self so that you are living for something that is worth living for? This story of Christ and the dragon, this story of Christ and the birth and the redemption of humanity goes all the way back to Genesis. In fact, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and verse number 15, you would find that the initial promise is made there. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your heel and you shall crush his head. Now, just think with me for a minute. What happens after that? The story of Cain and Abel. And Cain, the bad seed, tries and does take the life of Abel, the good seed. And the dragon in that moment, standing over the woman, feels as if he has the victory in that moment. But what he did not know is that Seth would be born. And the Bible says there in Genesis chapter number 4 that the line of Seth would be blessed by the God of heaven and men would walk in the fear of the Lord. And so from Seth all the way to the flood, we find this tracing here and that the dragon is after the seed. And what happens at the flood? Once again, the dragon has stepped in and he has tried to take the line of Seth and marry it with the line of Cain and make all of the wickedness in the world. And God says, I looked upon the world and everyone was evil, but one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And what was his name? Noah, who comes from the line of Seth. And once again, the dragon, is is, uh, his plan to take away the child and the seed is disrupted. And what about the flood all the way to Jacob? You remember in chapter number 12 you find this man whose name is Abraham and the dragon stands before him and his wife and tries to kill the child for she is now 99 years old and her womb is dead, so the Hebrews say in the New Testament. But she does give birth to a son whose name is Isaac and in time he would go to the mountain and he would be sacrificed but God provided a sacrifice instead of Isaac. And what would happen again? The dragon would try to keep Isaac and Rebekah from having children, but two, God would come along and bring forth a son, and Jacob would be born, and the seed would win again. But you read the life of Jacob, and what happens? He's a crazy nut. And the dragon says, I shall win for he is coming home and surely Esau and his band of 400 men shall take the life of Jacob. But what happens when the two of them meet? Peace comes and the dragon loses and the seed wins again. What about from Jacob to the desert? There arose a Pharaoh who did not know the life of Joseph. And he said, throw all of the Hebrew boys into the river that they may die. But one makes it, and his name is Moses. And he shall lead the people out of Egypt and into the Canaan land. And then we go from the Jews in the desert all the way to David and God makes David this promise and says, I will bring one from your line and from your house that will rule all the nations. But the dragon moves in upon David and he too will die. And not only was he a man after God's own heart, but he was an adulterer and he was a murderer and all of a sudden it looks as if the dragon is going to win. And then his son Solomon is born we move from David, the house of David, all the way through the New Testament or through the Old Testament, to the lady, that wicked lady, Athaliah. Did you ever read about Athaliah? You know what she said? I shall destroy all the royal children of the house of David. And she does. And the dragon is wringing his hands in victory until he remembers that the maid had come along. And hidden Joash in the closet, the son of David. And from Athaliah to Ahaz. Ahaz now rises up with the children of Israel, right? The northern ten tribes, and with Syria. And all of the all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the retribution are gonna come back on Judah, the chosen tribe. And God says to Ahaz, Ask for me a sign and I will give it to you. And what does Ahaz do? He says, I don't want a sign from God. So God steps in. And he says, I'll give you my own sign. A virgin will conceive. And she will bring forth a son. And his name, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And once again, the dragon loses and the seed wins. And from Ahaz to Esther. Have you ever read the book of Esther? Need we say that even though the name of God is not mentioned, He is there all along. And what does it say about Esther? Who knows that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I'm going to destroy all of Israel. But Esther says, I don't think so. God's in control. And God turns the whole book on its ear. And what do we have? Haman dying upon his own gallows. And the children of Israel and the sun and the seed everlasting. And what about from Esther? I'll just finish it for you. Esther to Bethlehem. You see, by the time you get to marry, ladies that are having trouble giving birth should be nothing new to you. For Eve and Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah, all but God is able. And He brings His child into the world. And what happens? Another king that did not know Joseph said, we shall kill all the children, two and under. And Joseph and Mary go down into Egypt. And here comes the prophecy from the book of Hosea that says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And the story goes on and on and on for people that choose to live in the truth that God is in the business of redeeming people through the work of His Son on the cross. And we are to live our lives at work, with family, with friends, in relationships, in all of the heartaches of life, we are to live as little Christ, living and dying and being raised again for the glory of God, sharing the truth with everybody we come into contact with. I ask you once more, is that the story that you find yourself living in? And did you live that out this week? One word of application that you might be able to help yourself with Sometimes in my journal, I will, uh, I don't know, uh, y'all know, many of y'all know, I'm kind of an organized freak. I got I to know what I'm doing every day. So you know what I started doing? Because that can be really gripping upon your life. What I have started doing is just saying, okay, I am to live this story, this grand story of the scripture out in my life. So, okay, uh, I did this Friday evening. I said, okay, um, Saturday morning we've got men's breakfast, which means I'm going to come here and interact with um, a bunch of guys, and uh, we're going to talk. And so, Lord, help me to think about how I live the gospel, how I live in the story, how I do my part in the story when I interact with guys tomorrow morning. And then I'm going to be with my wife the rest of the day. Help me to be Christ to her. Help me to live in the story of the Word of God in the way that I interact and I love and I take care of my wife. Do I fall short many times? Yeah. But I'm learning every day to live my story in the story of God's Word. You know what the problem with many Christians are? is We want just enough of Jesus in the Bible to fit Appropriately into my life rather than turning my life upside down and saying, How does my life fit in the scripture? Here's a second point, maybe a play application. Look over, if you would, at chapter 14. What story do you live in and what part do you play? Look at verse number four. These, right? These are the ones who have not been defiled with a woman, for they have kept themselves chaste. Do you play the part of righteousness and holiness? Not just, not just as something I'm not supposed to do, not just something that, that's a rule, that that's some sort of legalism, but I'm saying are you caught up in the role of living a part of the story and saying, God wants me to live a holy and a righteous life. I'm not going to be bound by this world. I'm not going to be caught up in the things of this world, but I'm going to live a holy and a righteous life. And then look what it says. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Do you follow Jesus wherever He goes? Do you follow Him into pain? Do you follow Him into problems? Do you follow Him into success? Do you follow Him into awkward situations with other people? Are you holy? And are you following Jesus? And then what does it say? These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits of God to the Lamb. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you experienced His redemption whereby you have trusted what He did for you? I want to urge you to play that role in this grand narrative of life instead of this one. Look at verse number 6 through verse number 9. I'll just point them out to you. It's a great warning. And I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven having an eternal gospel to preach. To who? To those who live on the earth, it's probably best translated, to those who sit on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Why? And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of judgment has come. There are tons of people in this world who by and by are sitting in lethargy and laziness and indifference. And if you do, the world will swallow you up. Not only the indifferent, but look at verse number 8. And another angel, a second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Some people in this world are lazy and indifferent. Some are wrapped up in immorality and being deceived. Verse number 9 says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead and on his hand, you know who those people are? Those who are attached to this world. I just want to ask you today, what role and what part do you play in this grand story? The one who says, I will be righteous, I will follow Jesus because I am a saved person in His kingdom. Or are you the kind of person here today that doesn't know Jesus and you're indifferent to the gospel and you are torn away and carried away by the lust of your own heart and you are so attached to the world that you would rather die in your sins than give it up and come to Jesus? Let me give you just one last point. Chapter 14, verse 14 down through verse number 20. It is this great day of harvest. The one angel puts his sickle into the ground and gathers all of the righteous to God. The other puts his sickle in the ground and gathers all of the wicked to their place of destruction. There's a song, old song, I remember, and the word great is in it, but it's not like great like happy. It's great in the word sense of being awesome to think about. I remember when I was younger, we would sing this song, There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by when the saint and the sinner will be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? Are you living in the story? And if you are, what part are you playing? And are you ready for the final act? There's a ton of people that come to church, not just our church, but every church every week. And they know all of the religious things to say. But they're not ready for the final act when God separates the righteous from the wicked. Jesus said, let the tares grow among the wheat, and when he who brings the sickle comes, he will take away the wheat and take away the chaff. Are you believing and trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you following Him every day? And are you taking this wonderful story of the gospel and sharing it with everyone that you come into contact with? You know, when a play is put on stage, there's always a fourth invisible wall. It's the one between the audience and those that are acting on the stage. But what I want you to understand is this divine drama that is being played out for us has no fourth invisible wall. It is not even being seen at some sort of 3D IMAX theater. It is in 4D real life. You and me are involved in this story. What's God saying to you today from it? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Maybe today, in your own heart, it would be good for you just to think through that. Am I living a life that's all about me, or am I wrapped up in the divine drama of Scripture, living it out for people and telling them how to join it and how to come to Christ and have have their sins forgiven? Am I living a holy life, surrendered to the Lord and following Jesus wherever He goes? Am I ready to meet my Maker today? Those are the questions that you have to answer. You'll either answer them now or you'll answer them in front of Him. Maybe just a quiet moment for us to pray and think.